Welcome to On the Bench. No Josh Newberg, which means, Chris Nee, you can't rub his face in your crystal ball on Lamont Green Jr. being right for almost an entire calendar year. Well, it was only September of last year, but I did have that moment when Will Fong put it in last night of feeling like I was Josh for a moment there. Who had the first one? It was you, buddy. It was you, and you had a long time ago. I had someone text me yesterday uh, when we were kind of hearing about the green stuff, and they're like, are you going to put in a crystal ball? I'm like, no, I'm going to let Chris do his first because he's he's running this show. He has information here. And, uh, and he's like, yeah, Chris put one in like almost a year ago. <laughs> so kudos on uh, – kudos – to you big guy, but but that's not why we're here. And, and we don't really care where Josh is. He's running around in the forest somewhere. We do want to talk about the actual commitment of Lamont Green Jr., uh, high trending, not ranked currently, but he's in the class of 2023 defensive end, a legacy. It's one of two commitments FSU has had in the past 24 hours. So that's where we're going to start off on the podcast today, Chris. Let's start with Lamont Green. You caught up with him. You caught up with his dad, Lamont Green Sr., who's a legacy at FSU. Uh, please fill us in on, on that development and what that means for FSU to get to get uh, Lamont. Well, Lamont Green Sr. played for FSU from 94 to 98. He was, I believe, a team captain on the 98 team. He earned all ACC honors that year. He was a linebacker, had a brief cup of coffee in the NFL. I think it was with the Falcons that he was with. He's also been in high school ranks coaching. And in between the pro ranks and high school coaching, he also worked at FSU as an academic advisor. So he's a guy whose ties to FSU run pretty deep. He's an FSU guy through and through. When you see him coaching now, you're going to often see him wearing an FSU hat on the sideline. That's just who and what he is. His son, Lamont Green Jr., six foot four, 215-pound, linebacker transitioning to DN full-time now here in his high school career. Talented kid. His nickname is Boots. That's what his dad affectionately calls him. He's a hardworking kid, likes a gym. You know, dad's rubbed off on him in all the right ways, and he's trying to be even more than what his dad was in a good way. He loved FSU, Lamont Green Jr. did, and he wanted to commit to FSU at a junior day. He's had a plan for several months, at least dating back to that crystal ball in September, of essentially coming up here for the first junior day in 2021 and committing to FSU. And at that point, I think the belief was, well, I might be the first commitment for FSU in that class. Obviously, Cedric Baxter Jr. beat him to the punch when he committed late July last year. But with the dead period being extended to May, which we're going to talk about a little bit later, obviously junior days aren't going to happen. You know, we're not going to see any kids on this campus to early as June as things stand right now, disappointingly. So with the fact that things kept getting pushed back, Lamont Green Jr. decided enough is enough. I've waited. I'm ready. I know where I want to go. So last evening, his father contacted me, Lamont Green Sr., spoke to him, spoke to Junior last evening. They spoke to Adam Fuller, Mike Norvell, other members of the staff this morning just before 9 a.m., Pulled the trigger, committed. It was accepted as expected. Mike Norvell tweeted about it soon after. Lamont Green Jr. is part of FSU's class. It's a completion of a dream for the young man who wanted to go here. He's looking forward to being someone that does follow in his father's footsteps. And it's also a dream come true for his father, who, you know, shared with me. I've known his dad a long time. Shared with me last evening that it's pretty awesome thinking back to Little League football days and thinking, man, it would be great for my son to be on that same sideline wearing that same uniform as me at the college level at a place he loved. And now that dream's going to become a reality. So pretty cool moment. Good father-son combo. As far as the player, he's developing. Like I said, he was a linebacker up until about two years ago, and then he's kind of moved, made a move to DN. That body keeps stretching out. He's six foot four these days. He told me he's weighing 215 right now. 
hard work ethic. I think that body's going to change a heck of a lot over the next 36 months before he's really into the college game. So it's going to be interesting to see what he is as the 23 class arrives into their proper year before they go to college. Yeah, I'm inter- interested to see his physical development as well, Chris, because he certainly has the upside uh, based on the frame, the athleticism off the edge to be a upper echelon, like we're talking about high four-star recruit, maybe even a five-star, depending on how he, he fills out. But that's just kind of the variables TBD when, when we're talking about two or three years out and the recruiting cycle. Uh, but certainly a big get for Florida State as they're trying to stockpile talent on the defensive end uh, position, the edge rusher position, whatever you want to call it. They're loading up guys who can get to the quarterback on multiple classes. Another one who committed, uh, let's see, just I'm, – I'm trying to do the math in my head, Chris, for how many hours ago as we're recording this. I'm, uh, it was about what? It was 3, 4 o'clock yesterday. So yeah, so less than 24 hours. hours. Yep, yeah, less than 24 hours. away um, as we're recording this here on Friday. Uh, still morning here. And that is defensive end Gabriel Harris uh, from, from Thomas Thomasville, Georgia, Thomas County Central. He also is a 2023 commitment and a, just like Lamont Green, a pretty decorated pass rusher early on in, in his career. Yeah, he's a bit of a thicker body. He measures in, he told me six foot four, 235. Right now, I think we list him at 237. So sounds like the weight's been around that number for a while here. He actually works training-wise with Mark Lyles. That name may sound familiar from Joshua Farmer's recruitment. That's who Josh Farmer worked a heck of a lot with the last couple of years at Gadsden County to reshape his body and develop into the college player that he's become now at FSU. So same trainer, similar work ethics, good kids who like the work. Mark Lyles is the kind of guy that, as a trainer, pushes his guys. He wants them to be as good as they can be and to – basically maximize what they have at their disposal. And it sounds like Gabe Harris falls into a similar cloth as Joshua Farmer at trying to do just that, at maximizing their potential. Rusty Manziel, the dude in Georgia for 247 for us, he likes Gabe Harris a heck of a lot. He actually put in a crystal ball for Gabe a couple of days ago on Crystal Ball Wednesday that company was doing. And it was kind of funny because I thought, you know, I'm like, that makes sense, but I don't know if it's on the verge of happening. Well, because he put the crystal ball on some subsequent checking shows that, yeah, it's on the verge of happening. And Gabe decided to pull the trigger and commit to FSU on Friday. Big factors in his recruitment were Marcus Woodson, who originally offered him back in August. And that really, you know, paid off for him. To kind of go back to Lamont Green Jr., Adam Fuller was crucial in that one, as was Odell Hagens. Obviously, the Hagens relationship takes back to Lamont Green Sr. And FSU offered Lamont Green on his birthday last year, last February, February 4th. That was pretty significant in his recruitment. So you kind of see that the offers come about and relationships sustain, and that turns into commitments for these young guys, the 23 class. And I think it speaks to the idea that this staff has had since their landing here in December of 2019 that, well, the 21 class was obviously important and a class that they needed to do certain things in, but there were circumstances that kind of prevented them from getting ahead in that class. Plus, they were hired late to get in on that class early. They knew they could get in early on 22, 23, 24, and they've made an effort to do so. And we're seeing some of the fruits of those labors. We've seen some success with 22. Obviously, 23 has gone from one to three commitments this week, with Gabe Harris being the second of those three in Lamont Green junior being the third of those three so i think we're seeing some returns on relationships paying off you know you always got to praise the position coach to john papuchas that defensive end group has really taken off with the 21 22 23 class really improved drastically as far as capable bodies coming in to play the position i want to get into that the the long-term projection at defensive end edge rusher right now but real quick chris is harris do you think he's a strong side defensive end do you think he 
maybe grows into being like a three technique. He certainly plays the run well enough to kick inside if he puts on another, you know, 40, 50 pounds in the next two years. I think he's an edge guy. I don't want to get too far ahead of time. I mean, you know, 24 months, two high school seasons left for these kids. A lot of development can happen. Sometimes guys slim out and get taller. Sometimes they stay, you know, squat per se for their size and add more weight onto that frame. I think he's a kid that's probably going to end up settling at strong side. I think he's a run-stopping type of defensive man who's capable of pressuring the passer, while the Green Jr. is probably viewed more as like a Fox speed and rush type at this stage. But, you know, we, we got to see how they develop. Think back to Nigel Kelly, the 2022 commitment, what he was 12 months ago versus what he is today. He has taken big leaps forward. And while the idea of the player is still relatively the same, the skill set, ability, and size of the player have all drastically changed in a 12-month period. I know Andrew Ivins, because he's he's down there in South Florida, he thinks Nigel A. Kelly, for example, is someone who may continue to grow and end up being someone who who goes inside. When I've talked to an FSU source about like how they view him, they said he just gets to the quarterback. Like That's all we care yeah. about. So I think that's a trend that's starting to – develop here for Florida State and what this coaching staff is looking like with or looking for with its pass rushers, guys who look like different types of prototypes. There's there's not a certain specific thing that fits a mold. And that's why there's so much confusion often, Chris, about like the Fox defensive end role, because you could see someone like Lamont Green, who's a, who's a speedy edge type, or Patrick Payton in the 2021 class play that position. Or you could see someone who's bulkier, stronger, like say Aaron Hester, who's going to be really good at stopping the run and, and bull rushing. He's 6'3", 221 right now, probably going to keep bulking up in the 2022 class and he could play that role too so uh, across the board man and then we've got george wilson uh some of the other 2021 guys who could play multiple spots what are your thoughts chris on just the, the work the staff has done to really change the outlook and the complexion of that position group compared to what they got it uh, what they got when they came here well one i think they've done very good work i, I think you know obviously in the 21 class defensive end was a position where they made major leaps and that was something that Mike Norvell himself pointed out in press conferences following the early signing period. I think in general, the idea, though, is we need to get away from the idea of three, four, four, three ideas of what is this guy inside? What is this guy outside? They're recruiting big, large body human beings who can do a lot of different things with a lot of different skill sets, who can play a lot of different positions. And then they're going to figure it out. And I think that's kind of the way to view it is that they're, they're looking for guys who can get to the passer. They're looking for guys who can stop on the edge. They're looking for guys who can clog up the middle. They're looking for guys who can take on double teams. They're looking for all of these different types of skill set. And then they're going to create a front, whether it's a 3-4 look, a 4-3 look, or even, you know, if they go bear heavy with something big up front, they have these bodies that they're bringing in to do that. I think that's more the viewpoint I've taken with it in the sense of the fact that they are taking so many defensive linemen. But you win in the trenches. You know, if FSU can be great at the D-line and great on the offensive line, they're going to win a hell of a lot of games if they have good talent surrounding those guys. But if you have bad defensive lines and you have a bad O-line, you can't win because, one, you're not going to be able to run the ball on offense, and, two, you're not going to stop the run on defense. And, two, as we've seen more than enough around here, if your D-line stinks at getting to the passer, the passer is going to do really well against you, and it's going to make every phase of your defense look poor. And FSU is trying to get away from that. I think that's uh, the storyline of what they've done with the 21, 22, and now 23 class of addressing pass rushing defensive line issues. I think the exciting thing, if you're a Florida State fan, is that FSU isn't done in either of the future classes, 2022 or 2023, when it comes to trying to acquire, obtain pass rushers. Obviously, Marvin Jones is still on the board in 2022. FSU is going to be in the picture for that legacy as long as he's – uh, uncommitted, and, and he's one of the best 
pass rushers in the state, edge defenders, whatever you want to call them. And then in 2023, a couple of developments, I guess, from the past 24 hours as well, somewhat connected to, to Gabe Harris. Maybe you kind of clarify this for us, Chris. Uh, Denzel Moore from Collins Hill uh, up in North Georgia. Stentavia Smith here from, from Albany, about an hour and a half north of, of Tallahassee. Those are two talented defensive linemen in the 2023 cycle. Both of them, uh, there, was, there was some buzz that they could be a package deal with Gabe Harris. Now, Gabe Harris pulls the trigger. Denzel Moore was about to make a decision public uh, yesterday evening around 7 p.m. He set a time, and then he, he told us that, hey, I had some personal things pop up. Uh, we fully believed it would have been Florida State if a, a public commitment was was made then. And Smith is someone who's trending towards FSU as well. So what's going on with those guys, Chris? And, and do we have a timeline for for where we could see things develop with them? Well, with more, he's also mentioned his birthday as a possible decision day. I think that's March 24th. So basically, give that a month, see how it plays out, see where it ends up. If he's green-lighted and good to go, I think it would be FSU, and I think it would be soon. I think he would like to. Him and Gabe do talk a lot, and they are also working on Stantavia Smith. In the case of Stantavia Smith, I think he's a young man that would like to visit here before making any decision, and not solely FSU. I think he'd like to see a few schools before he makes a decision. I think that's the desire of both he and his parents in this process. Yeah, he told me he rocks with FSU. That's what the kids are saying, right? They rock with FSU, but yeah, he wants to visit. And another storyline out of all of this, Gabe Harris exemplifies this, but also talking about a guy like Santavius from Albany, is that FSU is making an effort in South Georgia, and it makes sense. It's right over the state line, plenty of good talent. You know, it's not in abundance, but there's some really good ones that can help you win football games. There's a great 24 kid in Albany that FSU is already on, Cam. I forget his last name off the top of my head. But they're making an effort in that area, and I think it's pretty clear. And I think even – we were listening to Mike Norvell speak to the board of trustees this morning, and he was talking about some recruiting related stuff, dead period, et cetera, so on. And he said, you know, uh, oh, he was talking about transfers. And in fact, he would like to take less transfers in future classes and build a team through the high school ranks from Florida and South Georgia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he mentioned those two areas specifically. Very, very important. Um, and that's something, man, when I remember when Willie Taggart's staff got here, that's something they said, we're going to attack South Georgia, like as in addition to to what Florida is going to be. And it just never really materialized that way. It kind of got away from them. Uh, so hopefully this coaching staff has the ability to to consistently keep doing that. The early returns so far are there. They're evident. Um, oh, how about this? I, this is a name that just popped up for me, Chris. I don't think we've talked about him on, on the bench. A.J. Duffy, four-star quarterback in the 2021 recruiting class, listed FSU in his top four. Have we talked about that on, on the bench? I don't know if we texted about it. We, I believe we did talk about it. I don't know if it was the Monday show or one prior to that. We talked about his his final four that did mm-hmm. not include Arizona State, did include Florida State along That's with, right. I think it was Penn State, Michigan State, and Oregon. I said at that time, I think the threes are to keep an eye on are FSU, Oregon, and I would still keep an eye on Arizona State, even though they were omitted. There's a lot of smoke behind the scenes chatter that Arizona State remains in that. And part of the reason he put out the Final Four was to throw the sniff off because crystal balls were dropping for the Sun Devils. We shall see if that plays out. As far as a decision date, maybe March 31st. I don't think he's steadfastly said that is decision date. He has tweeted stuff leading people to believe that, including just tweeting that date specifically. But he didn't say what the date was about. So we shall see if that happens. Uh, FSU's hot and heavy with him. Former California kid, now at Bradenton IMG Academy. Kenny Dillingham leading the charge. FSU's made a great deal of effort there. We, when we first discussed it, we talked about how people were omitting FSU from the list before the Final Four, and then, well, there's FSU on the list. 
FSU shouldn't be dismissed in that recruitment. I don't think the other two we've talked about really should be either. That's why it was on the top of my head there and on my radar, Chris. Uh, AJ Duffery retweeted something. This will help transition us to our, our next topic. Uh, he retweeted something uh, from Ryan Barto announcing his his uh, addition to Florida State being official. We talked about we definitely had talked about Ryan Barto the last time all three of us were together for him to step in at what was the title, Chris, Director of High School Operations yeah. or Relations, right? Uh, relations, I believe it is. Yeah. yeah, and the main reason Barto is here to cliff note version his job among many things he'll do. Bartow's got a Rolodex. He knows dudes in this state. He knows high school coaches. He knows seven-on coaches. He knows the people that know people. He knows the people that help to get kids to campus, the one who's going to drive them. He knows those kind of people. He knows that from his time in the business, working alongside people like us with 247 and with rivals. He knows that from his time in college, working at Oregon and Syracuse. He also had a stop with, I think it was Catapult in there with Exos. Um, It's what he does. He's a door opener. He's a guy that creates relationships where FSU doesn't have great relationships and where the pandemic and COVID and the dead period have limited their ability to develop those relationships beyond a zoom basis, you know, not an in-person one. Bartow has in-person relationships with those people. It's going to help. And more than anything, the dude loves work. He loves recruiting. Like it's his thing. He enjoys it. There are people that cover recruiting. I'd probably fall in that category category. And there's people that love recruiting. Ryan Bartow loves recruiting and it's a good thing for FSU. So with that in mind, I think when you mentioned Ryan Bartow helping with FSU's Rolodex and helping further establish relationships, connections, let's talk about the NCAA pushing back the dead period through May 31st now. So at the very earliest, uh, June is when FSU and all other schools would be able to have kids come onto campus, have summer camps, that kind of stuff. Uh, it's going to be really important to have someone who can can help you continue to stay afloat and have relationships and, and get you to talk to kids, I guess, during that, that time period. So that's another value to having, to having Bartow uh, on the staff. Personal opinion, it's absurd. Um, it's, How, the, the May 31st, not the Bartow. <laughs> correct. The, the pushing back of the debt period even further. It's just absurd at this point. Um, yeah, I I'm agree. All, I, I'm all for there's safety. not a whole lot of benefit to it at this point. I feel like um, I'm not one knows that wants to live in the wild west and thinks everything should just be done to be done. But at some point, you got to allow kids to go check out the colleges they want to go to. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just not going to work. Um, it's unfair to the prospects. It's unfair to the colleges. It's going to cause issues with transfer portal down the road. There's so many negative benefits to the idea of extending the dead period, in my opinion. I think there's a way to safely maneuver in the environment to execute the ability for kids to take visits. That's just my personal opinion. Hell, if you want, make them all official visits, give kids more official visits, limit the schools to how many official visits they can have in one weekend and allow official visits earlier. There's a solution. You limit the crowd, but you still allow kids into the bubble situations to check out schools. Just a personal opinion. But anyways, off the soapbox. Um, moving it from April 15th, which it was to May 31st, it hurts schools. I mean, FSU, for example, I think was tossing around the ideas of possibly starting camps as early as April 16th because, heck, we need to see kids on campus. We want to evaluate kids in person. We can't hit the road and go check out kids because it was going to be a quiet period, which means a kid is allowed to come see you, but you can't go see the kid. Um, So they wanted to do that. That's all now been pushed back to May. Who knows if they're going to push it back further? You know, nothing's out of the topic at this point. David Coburn referenced during the Board of Trustees meeting today, in fact, that the concern now is how is this going to impact camps? A lot of schools start camps in a normal traditional year. That last week of May is kind of the opening season of camps. And then a boatload 
from June 1st, about June 15th, everywhere. Everyone has camps everywhere. You see tours, you see kids going to 10 campuses in 12 days and working out at six of them. That's the old way of doing recruiting. At this point, we're not sure that's going to happen. Plus, you're going to have such a condensed schedule. It's just it's creating some insanity to the whole system. And it's I don't know. I feel like the adults in the room, the NCA, who have been very poor throughout this whole thing, effectively navigating it, need to sit down and have some real serious topic conversations about how do we allow recruiting to exist in the current situation while also trying to provide safety to everybody involved, whether it's a recruit, the university, so on and so forth. One other recruiting tidbit before we move on here, Caleb Boating, a name to kind of keep uh, keep an eye on. I'm assuming I'm pronouncing his last name correctly, but he's a Clemson offensive tackle transfer, entered the portal, what was it, a couple weeks ago or so. And uh, yeah, I think that's someone that to maybe look at for Florida State, but not necessarily as a scholarship player right away. Yeah, I don't think that's going to claim the lingering final scholarship from the last class. I know when he first entered, uh, people were connecting dots there because there were some connections with, with Twitter follows and obviously him being in-state from, from Fort Lauderdale area as being a guy who would maybe take up that scholarship. I think if you can get him on as a PWO type and, and have him for a year and then see you know where, where that goes with the scholarship, that's awesome value to go ahead and get that that serviceable body to keep updating the – man, the, the PWO program they're doing is – I don't want to make too much of it, but because it only helps so much, but it does help elevate the floor of, of the program. And I think they're doing Chris a, a really nice job of, of stockpiling talent there. Yeah. I think back to what Anquan Bolden, I think it was said during the signing day booster event that they had where him, James, a few others came on with a uh, BMAC with Brian McFadden. He said, uh, I think it was him at least that said that, you know, practice was so damn competitive during the week that Saturday was easier and PWOs are going to help with that factor of making practice more difficult. The better look a scout team can give you because of the talent it has, the guys that are devoted, and scout team guys who are buying guys tend to be very devoted to doing the best they can for the program. The more of that you have, the better it is for your program. And there was there were decent walk-ons. I don't want to diminish like guys who were here before, like Javian Elliott obviously goes and plays in the NFL for a couple of years, and uh, Willie Taggart. Walker. Andre yeah. Walkworth, many well, men was a walk on. That's going way back, but yeah, that's that's a, a great example. Um, and, and even recently, like with Willie Taggart's staff, they had uh, some some really solid. Like getting Treshawn Ward as a walk on was was a solid addition. Uh, Wyatt Rector, someone who ends up getting scholarship. Uh, Deontay Sheffield, someone that Jimbo brought in, uh, gets scholarships. But but I think the depth of what they're doing uh, to to help that PWO program is really where it's going to show up. Instead of seeing two or three guys every year who may be able to contribute in some way or another on the football field. Uh, wouldn't be surprised if that gets doubled up to like six or so. So uh, positive. So speaking of football stuff, spring practice, I don't think we've announced it yet on here. We've written it obviously on those 24 seven spring practice starts on March 9th uh, and the pro day for FSU will be March 22nd. I'm trying to, when's the spring game, Chris, I'm trying to pull that up. I believe it's April 10th. April 10th. And that will be likely somewhat open to fans, we believe. I know UF isn't doing a spring game at all, uh, so some people were asking about that. I think the FSU will have events on campus. Uh, yeah. Again, it'll be restricted, but there'll be events there is what we're expecting uh, for, for people pre- to attend. I would presume for football, the attendance policy will be similar to what it was last season for the spring game. If you think about it, most spring events, athletic events at FSU are around 25% capacity right, right. now. For example, baseball is that. Hoops is pretty close to that. So I think that's kind of what we're looking at. 
So we'll start getting into more spring preview stuff as we get a little closer to it. We're about, what, two and a half weeks or so out right now. We're starting to do preview stuff on Knowles247.com. You guys can can check it out there, but I don't want to get too much into it here on the podcast until we're a little bit closer. People have asked what our coverage, like what our access is going to look like. Right now, I think the anticipation is that it's probably still going to be remote for us going into the spring. If that changes, we'll let you guys know. We would love to be out there to to go ahead and see practice uh, in person and give you guys reports on what we're we're seeing, but I don't think we're quite there yet. All right, let's take a quick commercial break. On the other side of it, we are going to talk a little bit of hoops and a little bit of baseball, and then we're going to wrap things up. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, welcome back to On the Bench. Finishing up here to end your to end your work week, right? Chris. Basketball. Brendan. Chris. Brendan. Chris. Okay. Go All ahead. right, sorry. Uh, basketball. There was a change in schedule. I want to get to that, but before we we go ahead and, and get into the nuts and bolts and, and look ahead, I'm going to give you a platform to take a take a look back because I know earlier this week was quite glorious as Florida State really just just wiped the floor with Virginia. Yeah, they had Tony Bennett squirming. He was uh, uncomfortable over there on that bench. FSU jumped on Virginia early, and they stayed on him throughout the whole thing. A little bit of a law there early in the second half, but Dark Calhoun drains an important three-pointer, and FSU quickly pulls back away, getting up by, I believe it was as many as 25 points in that game. They win by over 20 against you know Virginia, arguably the best team in the ACC, which certainly that argument can be made for Florida State. You know, FSU sitting, I think it's what – they're 13 and two, I believe it is on the year now, or I'm sorry, no, 13 and three. Cause they have two law 12 and three. Sorry. I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm already counting the pit game as a win 12 and three, eight and two in the ACC. They sit in second in the ACC standings behind Virginia ACC standings this year, because of teams playing, you know, anywhere from about 14 to 20 games, depending on COVID related uh, postponements are going to be based on winning percentage. So FSU really needs to probably win out. It would, definitely benefit them for Virginia to lose another one for them to win the ACC crown mm-hmm. in the regular season. Uh, as I referenced, Pitt's next up. FSU originally was supposed to be hosting VTech tomorrow. I think it was a nooner at the Donald L. Tucker Civic Center in Tallahassee, Florida. But VTech's currently down and out because of pandemic-related reasons, like so many other ACC teams, including FSU, have been throughout the season. So instead, FSU gets to pack their bags and fly into Pittsburgh and play at the Peterson Event Center in Pitt, which hasn't been a particularly welcoming place for FSU in recent years. Uh, It's also a place where a hell of a lot of fouls tend to get called on FSU. I think it's been 30-plus free throws for Pitt in the last two meetings there at Pitt. 
Um, but it's a little bit later in the year than those last two meetings, I believe. One was a season opener, so it's definitely later than that. The other one, I believe, was earlier in the ACC schedule. FSU was actually supposed to try to play Pitt in January when they had a pause, and then again a few weeks ago when they had another pause. So it's like this game has been meant to happen for a long time. The good news, I asked Leonard Hamilton during a Zoom on, I believe it was Thursday morning, uh, you know, change of schedule, how do you handle prep for that? He said it's not a big difference, obviously, more than anything, it's important how FSU's offense and defense plays, and that's dependent on FSU more so than the opponent. But secondly, Stan Jones has been scouting Pitt for those previous two scheduled uh, games. So they really did have a scouting report developed, probably put some fine touches, tune touches on it at the end there and included most recent Pitt games. What to know about Pitt? They're going to get on the offensive glass. Justin Champagne is a damn good player. Xavier Johnson's another one to know. Champagne is the kind of guy that if he just whoops you on the inside, he's going to get some easy putbacks. He's going to get some free throw line attempts. You, you got to kind of be aware of him. FCC is usually good at neutralizing that first guy and taking him away or allowing him to be the only guy by taking away other options. I think they'll do an effective job of that with Champagne. Johnson's a little bit of a concern because he can just do a little bit of everything. Pitt. It's weird. Pitt's one of those teams that has had effectiveness against FSU in recent years of dribble penetration, even when FSU was very good at stopping that. And this year, that's kind of been a coming and a go type of situation for FSU where they've been good at it at times and struggled at times. So I think it will be a bit of a tussle for FSU, but I also think it's a game that they understand if they come out and build on what they did against Virginia and you know rack up their third consecutive victory since coming back from a pause – that it kind of says a lot about the team they are and the fabric they're made of. So I'm, I'm expecting a pretty inspired effort. Is it too early to start thinking about what FSU seeding is going to be to start thinking brackets and I guess what consequences well, down the stretch here are going to be? Pre-UVA, a lot of talk of UVA being like a 3-4, FSU being a 5, who was right there hanging on a 4. I think right now FSU is a 4. I think the ACC respect level is pretty low this year as of right now. I think it would be really hard for FSU to play themselves into a one line. I think a two is an even a difficult task to some degree. I certainly think they can play themselves into a three. I think right now the neighborhood is they're living in the four, not too far from the five, playable into the three. You mentioned the amount of games they played earlier. I think that's probably something that that's going to be held against. But it's so crazy across college basketball that, all this year. It's, it's Michigan, tough. Michigan, who I think is one of the – top 10 teams in the country, damn good team on the level of FSU this year and play for almost a month. I mean, it's just nuts. There's programs that have folded in season because they've been gone for so long. Every team in the ACC has been impacted by it. it. Just, it is what this season is. The, the ability to judge teams within the same conference is insanely difficult this year. So good luck doing it on a national landscape for tournament. The net rankings are crap. They've always been crap. They're probably even worse this year because of the factors of what's going on. My opinion of it is I view FSU and yeah, I'm Homer on it because I like the FSU basketball team a hell of a lot. I think they're really, really good. But if you want to put FSU on the five line, have at it, but you're going to, they're going to probably make somebody look real stupid. If you put them on the five line, that's kind of how I view it. There's a select few teams in the country who we know are supremely elite Gonzaga Baylor. They fall in that category. We know there are several teams that are pretty damn good. I think FSU falls in that category with guys like Michigan, Villanova, Iowa maybe would be another one I would throw in there. Ohio State's been pretty good at times too. So there's several of those. They're kind of jumbled together. But I think that group of those kind of teams is going to create top 16 seeds, top four seeds for each region. Yeah, FSU's A game, like when they're all, when they're clicking like they were against Virginia, that's kind of a, a 
anyone in the country they can they can hang with type of deal or, or just straight out beat and, and in most cases beat pretty badly chris i'm a little envious that you get to cover this this era of fsu hoops and i covered the uh, the, hey, I, I the, was Bo, the Bojo. And I've earned this. Yes, you you have been doing it longer than I have. My introduction was like XRM and uh, yeah, and Devin Booker. It's just not the best, not the best ham team. So it's amazing to see though, like the sustainability that he's done, and, and not only elevating the program how quickly he did to get it to this point and adapting what he's done, but then to to keep it sustainable too. And apparently, yeah. they're just they keep on bringing in dudes where it's going to be sustainable presumably for the foreseeable future. Yeah. That 21 class, you know, Matthew Cleveland, Jalen Worley, those guys, all of them that are in the high school ranks are not including Naheem McLeod or to transfer from Houston, Caleb. Um, all of the high school rank guys are on the McDonald's watch list for McDonald's all American game. Disappointingly, as of right now, they're not expecting to play the McDonald's all American game for the second consecutive year because of the pandemic um, and COVID related reasons but they're still intending to name rosters, I believe is the intention. So I don't know if they'll do 24 or 30 players total, but somewhere in that ballpark from around the country, I think there's an excellent chance that FSU lands two on there and Worley and Cleveland, John Butler's probably not, but Hey, he's on the list too. We shall see how it plays out, but it, yeah, it speaks to what Ham's doing. I mean, the fact that they had multiple draft picks last year and people thought there was going to be a drastic fall off, it's just not what this program is. This program is at a point where it's established itself with enough of a veteran backbone that's returning year in, year out by developing veterans while including uber-talented newcomers who fit into the fabric very well. And the mindset of the team, top to bottom, is it's phenomenal. It's You know, you, you talk about chemistry and the makeup of teams and how important that is in team sports. Well, FSU hoops, there's not many better examples of how it works. You know, the, the walk-on, who's the last guy on the roster, has a voice as strong as MJ Walker, a veteran who is a leading scorer. That's just how it works. And, you know, Patrick Williams of the world are willing to put it aside and be a six-man and be really good at it. But, heck, Pat Williams just cashed about $32 million in checks and playing for the Bulls and doing pretty damn good for himself. So it worked out in the end. So this program has figured out how to be what it is, and it's extremely good right now at being exactly that. Right, let's pivot to – Baseball, I think that'll be the last thing we probably talk about here. It's opening weekend coming up on Saturday. Uh, weather pending. The weather's supposed to be pretty crappy here on Friday. So uh, Saturday, we're going to get things going. There will be an honoring of Mike Martin. 11 will have his uh, his jersey will be honored. Not retired, though. I think someone said that at the BOT today. It's not going to be retired technically. But, damn, dude, it probably should be retired. There's no one who should be wearing 11 ever again in FSU baseball, in my opinion. Well, it's a pretty cool idea what they're doing with the 11 jersey. Chase Haney, six-year senior. So if you had a kid six years ago, the only person he's ever known on FSU baseball in his life is Chase Haney, um, is going to wear 11. And it's because he exemplifies everything that the program's about. He exemplifies hard work, being a captain, a great locker room guy, a dependable guy, a good guy in the classroom, and Chase is all the above. So they're going to let Chase wear, I believe it's for the entire season. I think it's a pretty cool honor. It's something that Mike Martin Sr. was a big believer in, and Mike Martin Jr., head coach. And instituted it so i think it's a cool idea martin's number is going to go on the outfield wall joining two other numbers out that way hausers and i forget i think the other one's one of drew's off the top of my head i forget actually which two numbers are out there right now but he will be the third number out there they're going to do some other stuff pregame on saturday at 2 p.m to honor uh, 11 mike martin senior and i i think it's a really cool idea i i like it i'm not 
I'm not obsessive with retiring numbers. I think honoring numbers is extremely important. I think retiring his name's eleven. Like that's his nickname. If you're gonna retire a number, that's the number. And hopefully one day meet so good that we can have a conversation about retiring meat. We're not retiring meat. Okay. Um, I think the honoring thing is pretty cool. I also think seniors on board would end things is a good idea. So I, I think it's I think it's a nice hat tip by the program. It's one of those Josh isn't here. And I was just trying to have a hot I was trying to have a hot take to make up for Josh not being here. I, I don't I don't feel that strongly about it. Josh is running around naked in the woods right now. <laughs> um uh, but you know, I, I I like the idea of FSU baseball doing something where every time they're on a road game or a broadcast, they're going to talk about eleven, why it matters, what it means to the program, so on and so forth. I think that's kind of cool. Other programs have done that in other sports, and I think it's a pretty cool idea. Anyways, baseball opens Saturday, two p.m. North Florida, Parker Messick on the mound, second year pitcher, the Bulldog, as I like to call him. He has a Bulldog mentality. Just ask him or any of his teammates. Uh, Messick's been good, man. He fall, they liked him preseason. They've liked him. He was good over the summer. He dropped about 10 pounds, got himself in better shape, developed a fourth pitch, thrown better for strikes. He credits Jim Bellinger, AKA belly the pitching coach a lot for his development. Pretty important piece. Uh, you know, we had Mike Martin jr. On here, I guess about two weeks ago now, and he gave a good review of what his team looks like. They're going to be led by that outfield of Elijah Cabell, Reese Albert, Robbie Martin, Maddie Nelson behind the plate is a huge piece because you know, I hope the pitching staff will also be effective at the plate. Matt, to his credit, and Robbie Martin in the same conversation, both guys that shed weight definitely look like they're in better shape. The endurance is up. I think the ability to do stuff is up. Matt mentioned, Maddie Nelson mentioned specifically that his ability to block balls at the plate, spring up and do stuff has been better. Infield, we'll see what it is. We may get some insight on that today from me when we speak to him, or we may have to wait for the lineup card tomorrow at 2 p.m. against UNF. Doubleheader on Sunday starting at 11 a.m. with UNF. Then they're off for the next week and they play Pitt next Friday. So that's opening week for FSU, opening weekend for ACC baseball. For almost everybody starts today. Some teams are delayed because of weather and other reasons. Cool. Baseball season is upon us. Very happy about that. All right. Anything else, Chris? Not that I can think of. All righty. All righty. Well, this has been On the Bench. I'm Brendan Sinone. That's Chris Nee, the greatest. Uh, Josh Newberg, when we find him uh, filled with leaves and other types of leaves and God knows what, we'll, uh, we'll bring him back on the bench here. Talk to you guys next time. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.